brought my whiteboard, and then I realized I brought the wrong size marker. So uh, Minister Barnes has gone to get me a, a thicker marker. But I'm going to jump in as I wait. Uh, I felt like it would be a little bit easier to teach some of these things if it were a little more visual. Uh, I want to thank everyone who's joined us in person and online. We're on this spiritual warfare series, and it's a personal favorite of mine for a number of reasons. It allows me to touch some subjects and things that I've been studying for years and have never had the release to really get into. And uh, I didn't know that it was, we were going to go this deep when we started this topic, but here we are. And I like to preface the word with an understanding that everything that is taught is taught with a purpose to be lived. It's not taught just to be in a notebook. Some of the things that we learn we don't always have a we don't always think or see the practical application, amplification. Lord, what kind of word is that? Application for what I was trying to say. We don't always see the proper application for it, and then it just becomes, you know, cool information to talk about on the dinner table. But I think one of the reasons the Lord has made me wait so long to preach this stuff is because we have to apply it to our day-to-day -day life. And I sought the Lord on how best to get into these topics, because if you grew up in the church like I did, you heard a lot about this kind of stuff, and you heard it from different angles, and you heard different theories, and you heard different, you know, personal twist on certain aspects of it. And there's one thing, the Word of God tells us everything we need to know, and then there's some things it doesn't tell us. And... You have to be careful not to read into the word what it's not saying, but to understand what's actually being said. Everything in that book is for you to understand. There's nothing in the word that's not meant for you to understand because God wouldn't have told you something to leave you in the dark. However, there are some things in between the verses that God didn't say, and that's okay. It's important to realize that you don't want to create a new doctrine out of the unknown because you can't live on that. And Pastor Dan has been talking about doctrines, and we have a lot of man-made doctrines that spring up out of the unknown territories of the Bible. And people try to live their lives based on things the Bible doesn't talk about because there are these little mysteries that pop up. And a lot of it's misunderstanding, mistranslation, poor teaching, bad preaching, a whole number of things. I'm going to push this monitor back a little bit since I've taken up some of my space. I can walk because I tried it last week, y'all. I tried to stay behind the podium, but it's just not me. <laughs> I, was, I was joking Pastor Diana the other day because I said, Mama, I said, you don't walk around as much as I do. She said, I used to walk around. I said, Mama, when you walked around, you would go from the middle of the podium to one side <laughs> and then to the other side and then back to the middle. That was all the walking around Mama ever did. <laughs> I ain't never seen Mama out here, except when she was really preaching. <laughs> now, if she was really preaching, if everybody knows there's an invisible line up here, and if Pastor Dan across this line, she's in your business. Because she'll never get 
from one side of the podium to the other. So those rare services where Pastor Nana would cross that invisible threshold, you knew it was serious. Uh, well, that's just not how she preaches. But me, on the other hand, I have a hard time standing still when I talk. I, I pace the floor when I talk. I think it's a Davis thing. We don't, we don't stand still and talk very well. It's just, I don't know. So anyway, uh, we want to be careful not to create new doctrines out of the unknown. But some things that are written are written to encourage you to dig deeper. And in your digging, you discover more about God than you would if you just glazed over it. And certain books, Revelation being one of them, most people get scared when they get on Revelation because there's so much imagery in it. They don't understand. They just glo they, they glaze past it. They gloss over it like it's, not, like it's not important. And one of the things that the Lord, if you read the first chapter of Revelations, you realize that it's Jesus' revelation. And he gave it to John for us. The Bible calls it the revelation of Jesus Christ, which he gave to his apostle John. So it might be important to understand that book. Exactly. Blessed is the one that reads it. Jesus literally, the book of Revelation is interesting because it's delivered personally by Jesus to John. Amen. Jesus appears to John while John is in exile. And he gives him the revelation of the age in which we're living and the age to come. And for some reason, the church has spent more time running away from that than any other book in the Bible. We'll hang around Job all day and get Job wrong left and right. But Revelation scares people because there's a lot of weird words it's talking about dragons and pregnant women and, and Babylon and a whole bunch of stuff. And, and it, so it scares people and it shouldn't. So we're going to touch on Revelation a little bit, too. But I want to kind of recap. I want to give you some scripture because I didn't get to a lot of the verses that I had last week to help validate the things, the points that I was making. I made a few important points, one of them being that Lucifer, the angel, the cherub, is primarily motivated by his jealousy of man. Minister Barnes, you can bring that right up. I'm, I don't mind if you interrupt. I'll take the black one. Thank you, sir. Oh, yeah. Cameraman, let me know if you can see this. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just write a, uh, I'm gonna just write my name up here. Oh, there we go. Is that thicker? That's better. Ah, there we go. Thank you, sir. That does, that does just what I need. Ooh, it's got an eraser on it and everything. <laughs> well, it's kind of like a smearer. It smears it, but then I got this. All right. So Lucifer, motivated by his jealousy of man, because man was made like God, and Lucifer's ambition was to be like God, not to replace God, because that is impossible. But if he could be in the same position as man, see, his arrogance and his pride, which we're going to see is the foundational personality trait of the kingdom of darkness. Tonight, so last week we started with know your enemy. 
And we're going to wrap that up tonight. And if time permits, we're going to go into understanding the culture of the kingdom of darkness. So this would be like a subheading of know your enemy. Before you can engage in effective spiritual warfare, you got to know who you're fighting. You got to know how they fight. and You got to know why. So we talked about how Lucifer is motivated by his arrogance. And his arrogance made him jealous of man. Because that's what pride does. All jealousy comes from pride. If I'm jealous of you, it's because I think too highly of myself. I think I'm supposed to have what you have, even if I didn't do what you do, even if I'm not you. It's the feeling of jealousy is motivated by a false belief about yourself that you're supposed to be somewhere or supposed to have something. And if that motivates you, you're going to be jealous of anyone who has it if you don't have it. Pride lifted Lucifer up in himself, and, his motive, and that motivated him to a state of enraged jealousy and hatred over mankind, because mankind was made what Lucifer could never become but aspired to be, and that was like God. And we're going to touch on some scripture that gives us that. I'm going to write your scripture down so I don't have to keep referencing them. But I will read a few of them. Some of these will be very familiar to you. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 14. We'll start there. Very, very well-known scripture if you've been studying anything in this, along this line for any amount of time. Tonight I'm doing some teaching, so bear with me. This is not a preaching message. This is a teaching message. Isaiah chapter 14, and we will start at... Verse chapter, verse chapter, come on, DJ, verse number three. <laughs> the prophet Isaiah is prophesying to the children of Israel about the future of Babylon. Now, Babylon was an ancient kingdom, but it also represents the kingdom of darkness. It's a representation. It's a, it's a, it's a mirror image of the kingdom of darkness. And it shall come to pass, verse 3, chapter 14 of Isaiah, in the day that the Lord shall give thee rest from your sorrow and from your fear and from the hard bondage wherein you were made to serve. The children of Israel have become slaves to the Babylonian kingdom. And God is telling them what their, when their deliverance will come, this is what it will look like. That you shall take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, how hath the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased. The Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he that ruled the nations in anger, is persecuted, and none hindereth. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. Yes, the fir trees rejoice at thee, and the cedars of Lebanon sing. Since you are laid down, no one is come to cut us down. Hell from beneath is moved for thee, to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, all the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from their thrones, all the kings of the nations. All they shall speak and say unto you, Aren't, are you also become weak as we? Are you become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy vials, the worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. The noise of thy vials is another, in a different translation, it talks about the sound of his harp, or the, 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 the celebration of their instruments has been silenced. They're no longer celebrating and making all the noise. 
How art, thy, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weakest the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. The stars of God, when you cross-reference this with the book of Revelation, the stars of God is a common phrase used to refer to the angelic host. Okay, The stars of God uh, in Revelation, and it talks about the dragon taking a third of the stars of heaven with him. Most biblical scholars believe that to be a reference to the fall of Lucifer taking a third of the angelic host with him. Whenever you see, in, in many cases, when you see the stars of God or the stars of heaven used in this context, it's actually talking about the heavenly host, the, the angelic host of heaven. And we're going to talk about angels a little bit, if time permits, what they are and what they aren't. Because there's been a lot of mixed up doctrine about angels. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. This is what Lucifer said. Lucifer means son of the morning or morning star. It's a title. We'll take a brief rabbit trail here and then we'll come back. So in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, names are very important. All throughout the Bible, names are important, but especially in the Old Testament. God has many names. I'm going to teach a whole class on just the names of God, because that's a whole subject in and of itself, and it gets very deep. Um, but names were more titles than just names. In our, in our modern day, you get a name when you're born, and that's just what everybody calls you so they can identify you. It doesn't have to mean anything. That's just what we call you. But back then... Your name could change if your title changed. And the angelic host, especially the named angels in the Bible, the Old Testament angels, those that are named, their names all have specific meanings based on their relationship to what their duties and responsibilities were or to God himself. Um, so Lucifer, uh, in most translations, means son of the morning or morning star. And when he fell, he was no longer the morning star. That title was lost to him. Now Jesus is now called the morning star because it's a title. It's not a name. And it can be given and lost based on your position. And I'm drawing a blank on the verse, but I will find it for you, where Jesus gets the title, the bright and morning star. Same word, but transferred, because no angel can carry that name now. Okay, so that's a little side trail we're going to go on. There's so much to this, I'm trying to work my way through it, you know. So that was Isaiah 14. Now, let's go to... Ezekiel chapter 28. Now, there's 19 verses in this. I'm not going to read them all. No, Ezekiel 28. Oh, oh, the bright morning star. Thank you, Mama. Revelations 2:28. Yep. I knew it was. I knew it was in there somewhere. 
Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 28. Now, this is another well-known scripture, well-studied scripture, uh, to help give you a picture of, the, of how that influence over the nations is carried out by spiritual forces. In Ezekiel 28, the nation of Tyre is wicked, and God, through the prophet Ezekiel, speaks to the nation of Tyre. And he speaks to two individuals in the nation of Tyre. The first one is the prince, who is a man, a human man, a ruler of the nation. And then the second is, is the king of Tyre. And the king of Tyre is not a man. The king of Tyre, we're going to find out who he is. Go to Ezekiel 28. So I'll read it from the beginning. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus. Tyrus is an old English. It's Tyre. Tyrus is the same nation. Thus, thank you, sir. Thus saith the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas. Yet you are a man. Underline that. He's talking to a man. You are a man. And not God, though you set your heart as the heart of God. Behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that they can hide from you. Now, in the King James Version, that sounds like a statement. But if you read it in other better translations, it's actually a question. Are you wiser than Daniel? Is there no thing that's not hid from you? It's the, the, the Lord is challenging this king who believes himself to be so wise. With thy wisdom and with thine understanding, you have gotten yourself riches. You have gotten gold and silver into your treasures. By your great wisdom and by your traffic has thou increased thy riches, and thine heart is lifted up because of it. Traffic, is another word for traffic is trade. He says, by your trade, by your business sense, by your ability to trade with other nations, you have gained great wealth. And now your heart is lifted up because of your riches. We see an element of pride. I told you before, pride is the foundational personality trait of the entire kingdom of darkness. It is the first thing that you surrender to when you walk into sin. When you step into sin, it's the idea that I'm supposed to have something or I'm supposed to be something because, I, because it's me. That is the first step into the kingdom of darkness. It was Lucifer's first sin. It was Adam's first sin. Because remember what, remember what the serpent tempted the man and the woman with. He said, God's keeping something from you. And if you eat this fruit, you're going to know what he knows that he doesn't want you to know. He said, you'll know good and evil. They already knew good. They'd only known good up to that point. But evil they didn't know. And they had convinced themselves that they should know evil as well. And they thought they wouldn't die. That's pride. God tells you, you will eat this fruit, you eat this fruit, you will die. And you say, I won't die if I eat this fruit. I'll know something. It won't happen to me. How many times have you fallen into a sin 
with the, with the idea that it won't happen to me. I know it happened to them, and I know what the Bible says, and I know what pastor said, and I know what brother so-and-so said, and I know what happened on Dr. Phil, and I know what happened on Judge Judy, but when I do it, it won't happen to me. That's how it starts. You didn't come up with that thought. That's a demonic influence that, that isolates you from your consequences. It tells you that these consequences don't apply to you because you're smarter, you're better, you're different. You can play with that fire and not get burned. Verse 6, therefore thus saith the Lord God, because you set your heart as the heart of God, behold, therefore I will bring strangers upon thee, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom, and they shall defile thy brightness. They shall bring thee down to the pit, and thou shalt die the deaths of them that are slain in the midst of the seas. Will you then say before him that slayeth you, I am a God? But thou shalt be a man and no God in the hand of him that slayeth thee. Thou shalt die the deaths of the uncircumcised by the hand of strangers, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. Now, verse 11, the target changes. Verses 1 through 10, Ezekiel is talking to the prince of Tyrus, a man who has believed himself to be a God because of his wealth and his knowledge. Now, Ezekiel is given this command by God. Son of man, verse 12, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him. This is a different person he's talking to now. First he was talking to the prince of Tyrus. Now he's talking to the king of Tyrus. Take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sun, some full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. This is where we get the image of Lucifer of what he looked like when he was created, how beautiful he was, covered in all these precious stones, gold. And some scholars take that last part of the verse to mean that when he walked, he was made in musical instruments. The musical instruments were a part of his design. Smith Wigglesworth is quoted as saying, someone had asked him, um, they said, I saw an angel, and they said, Brother Wigglesworth, do you think I've really seen an angel? And Smith Wigglesworth asked him, he said, were you terrified when you saw it? And, he, and the lady said, no. And he said, then you didn't see an angel. <laughs> he said, because everybody in the Bible that ever saw an angel was terrified. <laughs> that was his answer. Because they're terrifying if you've ever seen one. Terrifying until fear not is spoken. And then there is a comfort. It's the only way I can describe it. But he said, if you weren't terrified, you didn't see an angel. If you ever saw an angel, it's, a, it's, nothing, it's like nothing you can see on earth without seeing into the spirit. And it's, a, it's an unforgettable vision of a being. They're not, they're, they're, not, they're not like what you see in the movies and on pictures and TV and stuff. Artists have never done 
a fair justice to what an angel looks like. Because if you rely on human imagination without experience, it's not possible to imagine something like that. Every description of an angel that you read in the Bible is based on the, the words available to those people. When, when, when Daniel is describing angels, when Ezekiel is describing these beings, they're, they're relying on stuff that they can relate to. If they had our modern technology, they probably would relate them to something more modern. But they didn't. So when they talk about, you know, fire and things like that, it's, not a, it's, it's a picture, but it's not a good, honest enough picture. It's just the best they could do with human language. But if you ever saw one, you couldn't describe it. You could describe something close to it, but you could never really describe what an angel looks like. So he's doing his best. Now, the words that Ezekiel, Ezekiel is using, he's getting from the Lord. So the Lord is telling him in words Ezekiel can understand what Lucifer looked like. Then he says this, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, another word for merchandise is traffic or trade, you have filled the midst of thee with violence, and you have sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Those are two different people. He didn't call the prince of Tyrus the covering cherub who walked in the stones of fire and was covered in the glory of God. He didn't call the prince of Tyrus that. He called the king of Tyrus that. Here's why. I'm going to do my best now. I am no artist, so don't y'all judge me. But let's say we have the earth. All right. I'm, I'm going to draw it first. I can't, I can't draw it from the side. I'm not that good. Uh, I'm not that one. All right. <laughs> I'm going to draw it, and then I'm going to step out the way. We have the earth. Now, the earth is a planet, obviously, but it's also part of the, what we call the seen realm or the natural realm. And then you have the heavens. All right, so you got heaven, which the Apostle Paul calls paradise. This is where God lives. And then you've got the heavens. Thank you, sir. You've got heavens number two, and then you have the sky. Outer space, the sky, the sun, moon, stars, all that stuff that we see. Don't judge my art. I'm not an artist. They're shooting stars. Some of them are falling, right? We have heavens. Number now, technically, I did this wrong because this is one, this is two, and this is three. There we go. The Apostle Paul calls 
and and just just to give you some scripture to support that, so you so you know, I like I, I learned from Pastor Diana. You got to give him a bunch of scripture. Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse one. We'll go there real quick. Because everything I say, I'm going to back it up with scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. The apostle Paul says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. In a better translation, he says, I'm going to talk about visions and revelations of the Lord that other people had. He says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, only God knows. Such an one was caught up to the third heaven. He calls it the third heaven. And I knew him, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. How he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. A better translation says he's not able to utter them. So he, the Apostle Paul knew a man who was caught up into the third heaven, which he calls paradise. We can see this heaven. And we're going to go to this heaven. All the work is in this heaven. In this heaven is this heaven was created by God as an administrative point between this heaven and this one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And like I told you last week, every time you see heavens or heaven, when they translated it from Hebrew, it was always pluralized. Now, in Hebrew, let me give you a quick Hebrew lesson. In Hebrew, you only pluralize for two reasons. One, there's more than one other thing, which is what we're used to. Or two, they, call, they do what's called a plural of magnitude. So we don't do this in English, so we're not very familiar with it. But... If you wanted to establish that someone was greater than all the others, you might pluralize their name, even if you're only talking about one person. It's called a plural of magnitude. And what it does is it gives extra weight to the position or title of that person. Those are the only two reasons why you have plurals in Hebrew. In English, we only have one reason for plurals, which is that there's a lot of them. In the case of Genesis chapter 1, the plural refers to multiple heavens. That's important because God created this heaven. I want to get that point driven home because in Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul talks about the war that we fight against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. He's talking about this heaven. But if God created it, God didn't put the spiritual wickedness in there. So it's important that we understand that the spiritual wickedness that's in this heaven wasn't put there for us to fight. The authority that the spiritual wickedness had, and I use the past tense because Jesus did something in this heaven when he resurrected. The authority for this heaven was originally ours because this was where heaven number three and this realm would meet and decide on the fate of this realm. Jesus made a statement 
He said, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. He's not talking about paradise. We don't have any authority up there. God lives there. And there ain't nothing in outer space but balls of gas. He said, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And this is pretty elementary stuff. But if you can visualize it, it helps you to understand spiritual warfare. He said, whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's not talking about paradise. He's talking about heaven number two. Because Jesus' authority gave him all power in heaven number two. Because originally, we had, Adam had, authority in heaven number two. And Lucifer wanted heaven number two. He wanted this. But Adam had the deed to it. So Lucifer tricked him out of it. And when he did that, he corrupted all of the spiritual authority that was set up to administrate in heaven number two. And the entire Old Testament, from Genesis to Matthew, is under the rule, heaven number two is under the rule of Satan. All of it. God sits above it because he's sovereign. So there were things that God could do to override the, the wishes of heaven number two. But there were things that God could not do because heaven number two had a certain degree of authority over the earth. If you go to the Old Testament, you will notice how incredibly violent the Old Testament is. You will notice how incredibly sinful people in the Old Testament were, even people that worshiped God. You can't make parallels to Old Testament people and New Testament people. You can't make one-to-one -one parallels. One of the reasons that Abraham's faith stands out so much is because of how abnormal it was to have that kind of faith. Because Abraham was not saved. And he had no way to get saved. He had no redeemer. There was no redemption for his sin in the earth. I'm going to take you to a scripture. And I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, and then I'm going to come back. Because I want to show you something. Go to, let's see, where do I want to go? Go to Exodus chapter 22. No, I'm sorry. Go to Leviticus 19. I'm starting to understand, Mama, what happens when you have a whole lot of scripture? You be jumping between them? Because it's pouring out of you, and you're trying to make sense of it. I had a whole, you have a whole outline, but then the Holy Ghost starts saying stuff. Because, see, we're learning this together, see? As I teach it to you, you start pulling things, and you pull from a different direction than I plan to go, so then I got to go where the Spirit in you is pulling on me. That's right. 
because that's how this works, right? If you're really pulling, you pull out of me what God has put in me. Go to Exodus, I'm, I'm sorry, Leviticus 19. And Leviticus is a book of laws. The children of Israel, God has given them all the law. He's giving them the laws. Leviticus is full of laws because he has to establish some things. One of the things about Moses' law, we talked a lot about that. We talked about tithing. Y'all remember that? All that Mosaic law stuff. One of the things about Moses' law is that it was very, very rigid. There's two reasons why it was so rigid. One, because it was meant to reveal the impossibility of keeping it so that you would know you needed a savior. No one has ever kept Moses' law completely. Because you can't, if you could keep the entire law without failing one piece of it, then you could make yourself righteous. Paul says that. He says, but if you fail one part of the law, you fail the whole thing. So it's a lot better to have a savior who can make you righteous so you don't have to worry about living by the law. The beauty of the law of Moses was that it's impossible to keep from beginning to end without failing. No human could do it. So you had to make sacrifices to make up for all your failings every season. The other reason for the law is that it's extremely rigid because the world they lived in was ruled by demons and devils who had occupied heaven number two. The entire Old Testament, every event that takes place in the Old Testament, takes place under the rule of the devil with God interfering from time to time to keep his plan in motion. And one of the things that I think we miss about the Old Testament is we think that God's running everything in the Old Testament, and he's not. In the Old Testament, the devil has legal authority in heaven number two because Adam gave it to him. Now, he's not supposed to have it, but he has it. And he got it legally. That's why Jesus had to die. Because if the devil stole his authority from, from Adam, God could have just came in and kicked him out. But he didn't steal it from Adam. He bargained with it, and Adam took the deal. Because it was Adam's authority to do with as he pleased. And he gave it to the devil in exchange for satisfying his pride and eating the fruit. It was a bad deal. It was a horrible business deal. But it was a legal one, which is why God could not stop the devil. Because within the rules, God gave the authority to man, and man gave the authority to the devil. So the entire Old Testament is a horrible place to live. I would, if I had a time machine, no. I'd love to see some, some things out of the Bible, but I'd only want to observe. I wouldn't want to go back there. My time machine run out of gas and I'm stuck. The Old Testament is not where I want to be. Let me, let me give you some context as to why you wouldn't want to be in the Old Testament. There's no God on the earth. You don't think about it, but there's no God on the earth in the Old Testament. God visits periodically He'll come upon a man and say something and then leave. Or he'll send an angel to do something, and then the angel goes back to heaven and chills until the next time. And all during that time, there's no God. There was one time period where they built a box 
to put God in called the Ark of the Covenant. And the children of Israel had to build a gold box and God would come rest his spirit in the box. And you carried the box around on sticks. And that's where God was. And if you touched the box, you died because you were a sinner. <laughs> if you got too close to the box, you died because you were a sinner. And if you lived on another continent, you couldn't get to God. You had to travel to wherever the box was and hope that the priest who resided over the box would go talk to the box for you to see what God had to say to you. And if God wasn't interested in you, you didn't hear nothing. Daniel prayed for three weeks, three, three times a day, and ate no pleasant food just to get one word from God. And it took three weeks for him to get a word. You know why? Because the angel, Gabriel, had to travel from heaven to earth. And he had to pass through the devil's territory. And it took three weeks human time. You know how long that is in angelic time? It's eternities. Three weeks human time. It's not three weeks in angel time. Things move a lot faster in eternity. He had to travel through this barrier to get Daniel's answer to him. And he couldn't do it on his own. So the archangel Michael had to arrive to help Gabriel get his message through to Daniel. That's how you prayed in the Old Testament. You sent a prayer up to heaven. And if it got through, an angel might answer it over an unspecified period of time. Now, would you like to live in the Old Testament? No. And it, he had to fight his way through. He had to literally fight the demonic warfare that's in this heaven to get to Daniel. And when he finally got to Daniel, he said, the Lord heard your prayer on the first day, but it took me three weeks to get to you with your answer. Here's your answer. Bye-bye. <laughs> but see, we have a new covenant. You see, the God that answers doesn't send angels anymore because he lives in us. So now God occupies earth with us. So when you pray, you're not sending prayers up to heaven. Don't, don't pray up to heaven because heaven's in here. And you can get an answer in five minutes. The way you get an answer now is to listen and surrender to the voice of God. Daniel had to pray and hear nothing. And he had to pray every day and fast every day until someone came to him. He didn't hear a thing in that whole time. He had to discipline himself to just get on his knees three times a day every day, hungry, because he didn't eat any pleasant food. He did eat some food, but it was not pleasant. We call that a Daniel fast. Don't ask me to go into that. <laughs> but he had to do that consistently for as long as it took. And there are some preachers who preach you should do that. But let me tell you something. If you do it, you should be led by the Holy Spirit as into fellowship with the Holy Ghost, not praying to get an answer from an angel. Because God's not sending no angels from up here. He's not doing it. 
They got different things. They got better things to do now. All your answers are here inside of you. That's the New Testament. But the Old Testament stuff just seems more spectacular because it was harder. And, you know, when something's hard, everybody glorifies it. I wish we'd go back to simpler days. I don't want to live in a time without the Internet. I don't, you can say what you want to say. I think the 50s was cool, but I don't want to live in it. And you don't either. I don't want to go back to dial-up. <laughs> and I grew up in dial-up. And I don't want to go, I don't want to go back to VHS. And all my movies are on VHS. Don't tell me that you want to go back. No, you don't. No, you don't. You just think you do because you've, you've made, you know, you've made it into something without really knowing what it is. For reference on that Daniel thing, by the way, just to give you a good reference. I, I know I put it in my notes somewhere. Remind me, I'll give you the Daniel reference later. I ain't, ain't going to use it the last few minutes finding that. The, now I got five, about, I have, technically I have ten minutes left, but I'm going to take about seven of them. So is everybody clear on the three heavens? I'm sure we all got this. In the Old Testament, this belonged to the devil. Okay? In the Old Testament, all spiritual warfare, if you're taking those, write this down. In the Old Testament, all spiritual warfare was done by God. In the Old Testament, man could not do spiritual warfare. I want to lay this foundation nice and deep because before we go into modern spiritual warfare, we got to understand old spiritual warfare. Because if you, if you try to do one when you're living in the New Testament, you're, going to, you're not going to get results and you're not going to know why. See, you want God to fight your battles for you based on promises he made to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. But when God says, I'll fight your battles for you, as it applies to us today, you have to understand that God speaks out of time because he's not in time like we are. All the battles God will fight for us, God has fought for us. We have the victory now. When we pray, when we engage in spiritual warfare, it's not as it was in the Old Testament where God had to fight their battles for them. Because they could not fight in the spirit because they had no access to the spirit. They had no access to God except when God visited them. The devil could do whatever he wanted. Job is a perfect example of that. Job is a man who the devil did what he wanted to. And God, in his sovereignty, commanded the devil not to kill Job. But he told the devil, everything he has is in your power because it was regulated by heaven number two. And at the time of Job, the devil was the boss in heaven number two. Adam gave him it. The devil told Jesus when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. He said, all of this has been delivered to me, and I can give it to who I want to. He said, I'll give it to you if you bow down to me. He's the father of lies. So he was lying when he said he'd give it to him, because he wouldn't. But it had been delivered to him. That's why Jesus was there to get it back. So the devil will tell you one truth to tell you two lies. Just so you know that. Now, three minutes left. I'm going to lay out three things, and then we're going to pick this up 
next week. The Old Testament was a very violent, very bloody, very horrific place to live. I wish I could be here two more hours because I really wanted to get into this tonight. But recapping to make sure every, I got to go slow because I don't want to get ahead of everybody. This is training, and I want to make sure that you understand it. And Pastor Dan don't let me teach on Sundays, so I got to wait a week. But I'm, I'm a little angry, but I forgive. <laughs> I love you, Mama. Uh, <laughs> the Old Testament was a very horrible place. That's because the Old Testament reflected the culture of heaven number two. There's three. I'm sorry, not three. There are five things that are hallmarks of demonic culture. The first one is sexual depravity. There's scripture for that. The third one is sorcery. We're going to talk about sorcery a little bit, what sorcery is. But I'm going to put it in modern vernacular for you. So the first one is sexual depravity. The second one is sorcery. In modern vernacular, sorcery is another word for drug abuse. It's using chemicals to induce a state, a spiritual state. In the, in the Old Testament, sorcerers would mix various plant substances together and have people drink them as part of their demonic rituals. And in those states, they would enter into trances and they would engage in various activities and they would see things. If you've ever heard people talk about being on psychedelic drugs or, or they say, I see things, I see creatures, I see, I don't, I don't like to get into the conspiracy stuff, but there's an ancient culture that worshipped certain mushrooms because it opened up what they called their third eye. And what it did was it engaged chemical substances in the body that allowed them to see visions and images and things of that nature. Sorcerers, that was their bread and butter. They would engage in chemical abuse to put themselves in certain mental states. The third one, the third hallmark of demonic culture is demonically inspired music for worship. Demonically inspired music for worship. All demonic rituals have some kind of rhythm. They have some kind of music that goes with it. Because music bypasses your reasoning and goes directly into your soul. It's a powerful way to introduce ideas and concepts into your soul without you having to give it direct permission. The fourth is human sacrifice, especially children. Children were sacrificed all the time in the Old Testament to, to Baal and other gods. We're going to talk about Baal, specifically Baal. But children were sacrificed. Human sacrifice was an important part of the Old Testament culture. And the fifth one was violence. It was a very violent time. Wrath, anger, greed, corruption. These were things that were very prevalent and in, rooted in the culture of the nations that were not covenant with God. That's why God was so harsh about destroying them. He said, don't even keep the children alive. And we read that today, we go, how could God be, how could a loving God tell his people to kill entire nations of people. 
because those children were already promised to the devil. Their souls were already sold to the devil at birth. And there was no redeeming a soul in the Old Testament. There's no Jesus. If a soul has been sold to the devil at birth, it cannot be redeemed. You have to understand the Old Testament. We don't recognize the Old Testament properly. When these babies were born in these pagan cultures, they were promised to Baal, who was a demon lord in heaven number two. And they were, their souls were sold to the devil. So when the children of Israel come into Canaan to conquer the land of Canaan, and they have to wipe out all the Canaanites, they can't keep any of them. Because he said, they'll infect your people. God told him, he said, don't marry your sons to their daughters. Don't marry your sons to their, your sons to their daughters, their daughters to your sons. Don't mingle with them at all. Kill them all and burn their cities. Because as long as there was a link to this administration, it was going to destroy whatever God was doing. That's why God was so heavy about circumcision at birth or eight days after birth, circumcision, you have to take the child when they're a baby and consecrate them unto God. I have to have a covenant with the baby because if they get too old without a covenant with me, the devil's got them. And I can't interfere with them because the, the law is on the devil's side. You understand? We're going to talk about those five hallmarks. Keep an eye out for them in today's culture. We've murdered... 53, 63 million babies since the 50s? Since the 50s? In the last 60 years, we've, mur we've sacrificed 63 million children. We called it Planned Parenthood. But what do you think murdering babies is? The devil's culture didn't change. His tactics did. His culture is the same. What are the three things that permeate our music industry? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. In 1969, there was an article written in Time magazine about that being the hallmark of this new culture, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Where do you think they learned it? Devil did not change his culture. He just changed his tactics. And many of us have fallen prey to those tactics. But once you know your enemy, you can take your victory over him. Amen? Amen. Amen.